Welcome to the Cosmic Business Podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer, business coach, and CEO of Weave Your Bliss, a company with the goal to help a million spirit-led entrepreneurs build a cosmic business around their genius so that they can earn wildly well and bankroll the change they want to see in the world. A cosmic business is a new paradigm business that believes in collaboration over competition, building a business around your unique genius, aligning to the planets and your intuition, leading with your values, putting your health and the health of the planet first, treating people fairly and building giving into your business model. Sounds fabulous, right? On this show, I will take you behind the scenes of my thriving multi-six-figure business, including strategy on closing more sales, nurturing your community online, plus astrological insights to optimize your business and life. We'll also feature conversations with spirit-led business owners, creatives, and change makers to inspire you. I'm coming to you from our regenerative farm in rural Maine, my happy place, where we are currently creating space to welcome community for retreat and earth reconnection. Let's jump into the conversation. Hello, hello, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm really excited this week because I have a very special guest with me, Jody Wellman who is a speaker, author, and facilitator who helps people live lives worth living. She specifically helps her clients live squander-free lives while they're lucky enough to still be above ground. She named her business 4,000 Mondays because it shines the light on the finite number of weeks we have to live like we mean it. Jody holds a Master's of Applied Positive Psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, where she's also an assistant instructor. As a certified coach with 25 years of corporate leadership experience, she helps executives, teams, and high performers work well and live even better. And Jody's TED Talk is called How Death Can Bring You Back to Life. It's had over 1.3 million views. It's the 14th most watched TEDx talk released in 2022 out of 15,900. So in this episode, we discussed how connecting with your death can actually help you live a life that is more astonishingly alive, and why you should be counting your Mondays, plus practical tips for cultivating your curiosity and sense that you are not living on the sidelines, and also behind the scenes of a creativity-focused business, because Jody does some awesome drawings and other things that just really perked my interest the first time that I saw her work appear on my feed on Instagram. So I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Before I jump in though, I want to know if you are giving back already in your business or you would like to be giving more, please, I would love to hear from you. I'm doing some research for a book and your contributions will help me know what would be most helpful for you and even what tools we can create to support you. There's a link in the show notes to fill out a quick survey. It should take you no more than two minutes. And I am so, so grateful that you took the time to do it. Also, have you signed the 2K for Change pledge yet? This is a pledge that states you are planning to give $2,000 back in 2024 from the overflow of your business. That can be in cash or in services. You can learn more about this pledge at the link in the show notes or at bit.ly slash 2K, the number two, the letter K for change. That's bit.ly slash 2K for change. 
please do check it out. We are hoping to have 5,000 spirit-led business owners just like yourself sign this for 2024, which means that we as a community will be giving back $10 million, which to me is a badass number. So I hope you'll join us. Also, just in case you're a fan of my astrology guidebook, that is coming out very soon. So make sure you are on my newsletter list in order to hear about it right when it happens. And without further ado, here is my interview with Jody Wellman. Hi, Jody. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited to chat with you. I'm so excited to have you. Since I just discovered you on Instagram, I've been following what you've been doing and it's just been so cool and uplifting to have someone talking about death in such an uplifting and nice way. So thank you for that. Oh, you know, it's funny when you started to say it's uplifting, I was going to laugh first and say, you know, most people wouldn't think that talking about mortality would be uplifting, but I think there's a way we we can do it, right? (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe you can start by just telling us how 4,000 Mondays began and what exactly that even means. Okay. All right. Happy to. Well, to, uh, to clarify from the start, yes, 4,000 Mondays is the general rough average quantity of Mondays we get in our lives. Uh, it roughly adds up to about 80 years. So men roughly get 78, women roughly get 83. And, uh, I have become just so heartwarmingly, fabulously obsessed with that countdown. Because based on, you know, research I've done and that I did in grad school for positive psychology at University of Pennsylvania, there's this idea called temporal scarcity, which is that, whoa, if we actually stop and consider the finite nature of anything, that helps us to spike the perceived value of it. And so why not do that with life? It doesn't have to just be with gems and stocks and bonds and whatever. So uh, it's this idea about, hey, can we use mortality as a motivator? And so... Yeah, I started 4,000 Mondays about three years ago. It's been one of those topics I've been mulling over, contemplating, fascinated by for years and years and years. And I just gave myself permission to do it three years ago. Oh, that's so awesome. So was there something that happened for you that made you become more aware of death yourself? Or was it just like a, a fascination that you had? Yeah, there were probably a few events. So if I just track back thinking about, you know, my life as I know it and why, who likes to think about or talk about death? I was never overly morbid, but I've always found it just so fascinating that we are all careening towards this inevitable end. <laughs> you know, and thankfully, <laughs> I find it a little bit amusing, uh, this sort of absurdity of it all. You know, I've always been in helping professions, you know, whether first career personal trainer or in leadership for many, many, many years or as a executive coach. I want to help people's lives be better. And it's just the juxtaposition of that against the fact that we all want these great, fabulous lives. And I still want that for us very badly. And then poof, you know, so I've always had that notion of, we all know this is kind of crazy, don't we? Uh-huh. <laughs> and then um, my mom died in her late 50s, which was unexpected. And I don't want this to come out the wrong way because the thing that gripped me the most, I guess, you know, other than, of course, grieving naturally for his mother that I love was my perception that she had lived a life that was full of regrets at the end. And that gripped me so unexpectedly when she did die. And I have just such vivid memories of cleaning out her apartment um, full of all of her animals and all of her stuff at the end and just the drawers full of just dreams and business plans and manuscripts and things that she didn't take action on. 
And in all honesty, you know, the things that scare you are the things maybe that you see in yourself about, oh, I realized I had also dreams and notions and things that I was just too scared to take action on too. And that woke me up. Uh, and so that was a bit of a, woof, wait a sec, uh, life is short. We all know this intellectually, but we like to play the game of thinking, meh, but I might be an exemption. And so that was eye-opening that, of course, yes, we could go at any time, we know. And why not be really intentional about the time that we do have and make some of our hopes and dreams come true, make a lot of them come true. Uh, and so that really was an impetus for me. I love that. And so can you talk a little bit about like what this looks like in practice? Because I think we can stay up here and even like with 4,000 Mondays, we can think about that number, but like, how do we actually take that and then mm -hmm. use it as a tool to really activate ourselves? Uh, yeah, it's a great question because you're right. Theoretically, it's the same thing we've been doing for all of our lives, right? We all know that we are finite, but then we just carry about and answer our emails and don't think much about it and use it. So my first recommendation is actually counting our Mondays. Uh, and of course, I have a calculator on my website, on my resource page, because of course, you know, not all of us love to do math. <laughs> um, but like, for example, like I, I do the countdown every Monday and I know I have, you know, 1,882 Mondays left. And I do this in workshops and presentations I do. And of course, some people just feel like <gasps> shocked by it. And that's partly the point. And so counting your Mondays is the first step in quantifying this very precious thing that you have maybe possibly probably been taking for granted, you know? And so it's by doing that, that we can stop and say, wait a minute, I know it's, I know it's a diminishing number, um, but what does this mean for me? And of all the things that I might fathom, I'd like to do that I am putting into this category of my mind of someday I will, you know, I'll get to that maybe when I retire or when things are less busy, that's a hilarious state of mind, right? Like, like you're waiting for a bus that ain't never going to come if you're waiting for the one day when I'm not busy and mapping out and taking action on it. So this act of memento mori, that's really what we're talking about, right? It's that Latin phrase from many centuries ago that means remember that we must die. So the counting of the Mondays is the first step. Um, the second step is how do you stay in touch with it? So like, I'm a really good example where like, no, like everywhere around me, everything I have, I'm, I'm, it's littered with paraphernalia, like little skull reminders, little tiny things that just act as the visual reminder of right temporary, you know, whether you can have like little tiny, I've got the hourglasses. Of course, you don't have to have your entire bookshelf decorated <laughs> with skulls. That's fine. Um, but little, little tiny reminders. Um, I carry a coin with me. A lot of clients I have carry little tiny little coins that say memento mori, just little pauses and reminders that, Oh, yep. That's right. My time's ticking. And so then now get back on track with what you might want to do with it. So I think it's a countdown and visual that are probably just the first easy steps to, to actually integrate this. I think this is so fascinating because I come from an Indian, like the background of my spiritual philosophy is India, right? And so a lot of the technologies, you know, the the spiritual technologies that they use in like Nepal and like the Buddhist tradition in the Indian tradition is to remember that you're going to die. You know, it's like sitting with a body and watching it burn is actually a process of you remembering you're going to die. You know, there's something called Chud in the Tibetan tradition. I'm sure you've probably heard of it, but it's like an actual practice where you're, you're using a drum to kind of get into a state and you're picturing your own death. Like you're picturing your own like body being severed and put into a fire, which sounds very violent. But then what happens is you come out of it and you're like at peace because you're like, oh, this is true. You know, the Western tradition also had this. I think there was strains in the Catholic tradition. Maybe you know more than I do, but like this memento mori 
concept helped us stay grounded and to remember what's true. (laughs) Remembering what's true. I really like the way you've worded that because there is something, and I guess to flip back over then to more of the Buddhist faith, the idea of acceptance and the idea of equanimity that, you know, this is the life we have and we push and we resist and we really try, you know, and I'm always conscious of it because I'm part of probably that Uh, machine that really wants for us to make the most of our time. But I'm trying to be conscious also of it being not the pressure filled, get on with it, make the most of it, because it's never going to be enough. And you want to, well, there's a quote I love by Hunter S. Thompson, the reference to like skidding in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, proclaiming, wow, what a ride when you get to the grave. I love that idea. I actually end all my presentations with that quote. And there's a bit of a longer version of it. But I also want to say, oh yeah, PS, but like, I talk about intensity and urgency to live, but like, we can also have some intensity, but without, like, without the extra stress or harriedness. Right. You or know, in so Hunter's case, people. like less masculine. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we can have acceptance of what's going to happen and reflect on it and meditate on it. Like many Buddhists do five times a day. And many cultures do and don't avoid it. Don't deny it, which is what we're very good at doing. And we kind of come by that naturally. It is scary. But the more we can stop and respect it and expect it and understand it and play with it and have conversations with your family and friends about it and demystify it, I call it defanging it, then that helps us to then maybe be in a better position to live more fully. That's where I actually come in with like, admittedly, more Action and intense intention is required sometimes where we might get to the point where we're okay with an accept and some of us say, actually, I don't have any death anxiety. I'm fine. That's good. But then I look at conversation about making the most of your time and that don't you find time will pass you by unless you stop and just get a tiny bit more thoughtful and planful about what you want to do with it. Because I don't know about you, but like, where did the summer go? Where has the year gone so far? Like we, it, it, it only speeds up and we have to be the ones to stop and say, in this amount of Mondays I have left, I want to achieve and do and experience and taste and smell and travel to and rekindle that friendship with all the following things I want to do. Well then, okay, when are you going to, when are you going to then visit that friend in Indianapolis? Okay, great. Like, let's make a date. Let's lock it in. Cause otherwise it'll just pass us by, which is what time is willing to do. It's so interesting. I mean, I, I would suggest everyone watch your TED talk because it's super interesting and I will lo- link to it in the show notes for people to watch, you know, and you talk about squander free lives and being astonishingly alive. I really love that phrase. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Oh, thank you. And thank you also for the shout out about the TEDx. There's this. Okay. So starting, I guess, with squander, we'll start at one end of the spectrum. I don't have judgment, by the way, when I talk about how we squander our lives, because I'm not sitting here from on high saying, the rest of y'all, you're wasting your time and I've done it right. Because like, oh, no, no, no. I think this is like a consistent recalibration. You know, it's kind of like what they say about meditation, that some of us think meditation is supposed to be, if you're good at it, you just don't have thoughts that come into your head. But the act of meditation is actively setting aside the thought and coming back, right? The act of living a squander-free life is about recognizing that we are going to just take time for granted. And we are going to just get into autopilot because there's just a lot going on. You know, like we're trying to just manage all the inboxes and all the things and all the inputs and all the freaking outputs and all the things. And so sometimes we do need to just get into a nice little zone of like zombie zone. Okay, 
Great. And that serves us for a little bit until it doesn't, you know, until all of a sudden we've realized like, oh my gosh, it's Thursday. Like, do I have even anything to show for this week? Not that it's contest, you know, but have I even really lived other than going through the motions? That, that right there, that going through the motions is the thing that I think is the charged part of this is that recognizing that because that's on the edge of squander. That's on the edge of squandering. If, if you have found that a lot of your time, or maybe just more than you're comfortable with, is in that going through the motion zone. I call it like we're highly functioning zombies. Then that's that means we're living lives that are we're kind of squandering. Because I will say, each and every one of us, we do have goals of things we would like to do. Like you, you know, when you started this podcast, before you started the podcast, it was a go a goal or a dream. It took me two about. years to do it. <laughs> I thought about it for a long time. Okay, good example. And and there's a lot of build up towards it and there's a lot of work and all the things that happen. But think about all the things that are on all of our respective lists that we would like to do. And some of them are not even necessarily super noble. Sometimes it's just that, you know, wow, I would really like to go have Ethiopian food again. Like just little notions in life that make our lives feel interesting or full. And so we can get into squandering easy peasy. And the habits in life make us... I mean, I I, I love TV and movies. And I am like my default setting, I swear to you, is on that couch with my cat and my husband. And it's like, life's good until, oh, wait, but wait, like how where we're doing this kind of a lot. And so the other end is this idea about living just more fully, like living a life that is relative to what makes you feel like you're participating in it. You know, you're not, let's use the expression sitting on the sidelines. That one tends to work for most of us. Like, oh, right. I'm watching it from afar or it's passing me by and wow, there goes another decade or year. And what about activating and saying, again, using this tool of this time's ticking, like these years and decades, they're at some point they're going to run out. And if I have this list of things that would be kind of cool and I clearly am culminating towards, I'm a fan of noting it, like making the list, making multiple lists of your intentions and dreams and hopes and things that make you happy and things that make you feel delighted and all the things we can talk about that, but making some of those things happen because that's what gets you into this feeling that we are getting more out of our time. And, and because you saw the TEDx talk, you'll notice that, you know, clearly we're talking about this idea about time and we like the idea about living longer, but my recommendation is to think about our time through the dimensions of living wider and deeper. You know, so if we're living wider, it means that we are adding like widening our lives with more more vitality. And that's the pleasurable stuff, the joy, the fun, the tasting menus, all the cool, fun things. And then we also want to deepen our lives, ideally. And that's on the dimension that is about meaning, having that sense of purpose in life. So when you put those two things together, you have four spectrums. And one of them is that astonishingly alive zone that you've alluded to. And so that to me is like the anti, that's the squander free zone. You know, that's when life is like, like we're on fire there or even just simmering like small smoldering embers of fires. Life is living, you know, we're having, we're engaging in the way we want to be engaging with just enough social or just enough fun or just enough learning or just enough self-care, like all the things that are right for us rather than watching it happen from the sidelines. Yeah. So let's talk about how we cultivate that. Cause you also mentioned in there, you know, like sort of stepping into those things that we've been, you know, leaving that are on our list to do that make us feel alive. And that for me, when I heard that I live on a farm and this has been a dream to be here for 20 years that we made realized like three years ago, my husband and I, and he's so dedicated to the land. He's the one that's out there doing a lot of the work. 
I go out there, I harvest and I cook and put a lot of the food away. But while I'm out there, I just feel like it's not that I have to spend a lot of money or that I have to go very far away to feel that feeling of being astonishingly alive. I'm out there with living things. I'm listening to the birds. I'm picking my tomatoes and I'm making my tomato sauce, you know, and it's something so simple, but it allows me to feel that feeling. So I wanted to hear from you, like, how do we cultivate these things without, you know, making a big deal out of it? Like, oh, I have to just fly off to Bali and, you know, (laughs) do something to shake up my life. Like sometimes we do need to do those things, but other times like it can be simpler than that. Oh, oh, okay. I love, I love literally everything you just said. <laughs> I am so interested now because just think, I just want to like, like, let's do just a quick snapshot for a sec about your life. You made a huge dream come true to live on this land three years ago, podcast two years, like, <laughs> like you're living a life of like aliveness, which I'm already loving. I love I like how you use the word cultivate too, because clearly you are cultivating things on your land. This is, this is so fabulous. Your example is one I'm going to use from now on in my presentations, because you're touching on something that I think is the most important part of all this is when we think about, and I I play into the problem. I talk about living an astonishingly alive life. Well, astonishing is a pretty big freaking word with like a lot of connotations, but it means relative to you. And so it is usually not the ginormous things, the sail around the world, like you said, Bali. It's usually not about the magnanimous things, the things that cost a lot of money, the things that require a lot of time. We trick ourselves into thinking that I can't live the life I'd like because I can't afford it yet or I don't have the time yet. Wait a minute. What about those simple pleasures? And so one of the things I recommend is coming up with get a page or a spreadsheet or the back of a pizza box, whatever works for you and write out a list. I typically say like 30 things that make you happy, that bring you joy. And, and, and they need to, most of them, I say 25 of them just need to be accessible. So relatively simple things you can do without like, uh, cruise in, in Switzerland may not like, you That's can't like have them all be crazy. Bucket right? lift, bucket yeah. list stuff. <laughs> well, sometimes these are even little things like, um, like you just said, like making tomato sauce, taking the dog for a walk. Um, there's one woman I worked with years ago who is like, I just love tending to my orchids on a winter morning when the sun is streaming through. I just like, that brings me so much joy. And here's an example. She had moved to a new location like two years prior. She didn't bring the orchids for some reason. And she was living an orchid-free life, which means, oh my goodness, this is just a low-hanging fruit easy win for her to go and get a couple orchid plants. And then all of a sudden, that's a moment in her day that would spark some kind of a feeling of aliveness that you know, wouldn't be the case for me. And it may not be the case for her daughter. But the point is for her, like you, going and getting the tomatoes. That's your thing. Like, so each one of us, it behooves us to make our own list of things that we do that just fill us up. And it could be sitting down and just doing like doing a quick stretch, you know, really feeling that your muscles stretching. It could be going for a walk in the morning before life gets nutso. It could be the taste of your very favorite oatmeal raisin cookie. Like you get my point here. These are simple things, but this is what life is because our lives are most, most of us are not jet setting around or living large, so to speak. Most of us are just putting together like five minute increments stitched all together that, that does make a life. And so why not design your days and weeks to have more of those highlight points interspersed. And it's so unexpectedly simple that formula, but we underestimate the impact that that can make a shift in your day. And that 
is what leads us to that feeling of life's getting lived around here. It is usually the simple stuff. So number one, have your list of things available. I recommend for very time-strapped folks, have a list and sometimes even organize it by how much time it might take you. Because for some of us, I like looking at like animal videos. Explore.org is just, I dare you to not spend tons of time on that website because there are video cameras around the world on different animals. <gasps> it's going to ruin your productivity, but it's so lovely. <laughs> and, um, but that to me, I can like, I can take three minutes between calls and go pop on and look at an owl somewhere in the world. And I'm just like, oh, I'm so happy right now for no reason, but now I'm, I'm happier going into that call than if I had answered two emails. Yeah, I love that. And then like what what you were saying, I was going to lead from that if you didn't say it is like schedule in that time, you know, as a business coach, I'm like always telling people to schedule in breaks and have that space so that you actually feel like you're not only getting things done, but you're taking good care of yourself and you're feeling in balance. But those breaks could be these moments of joy to kind of I feel like that also just like recenters and recalibrates us on some level, you know, so oh, that we don't feel burned out. Yes, you're completely right. Because even for a lot of us, um, it's the micro moments that I do think we can just be thoughtful about. Like, I'm, I'm actually pretty fanatical these days about just thinking about the time you take for your lunch. And so for many people, they're scoffing like lunch, who takes a lunch break? You know what? Okay, if you can't take a lunch break, then whatever you're doing, whenever you're scarfing back your food... What are you, you know, and maybe if you've got 10 minutes here where I am, the husband and I try and orchestrate and do lunch together. But sometimes now, like we're being thoughtful about let's eat outside or let's play like Seinfeld bloopers on YouTube so we can laugh for 10 minutes before we go back to the cacophony of crap of work or whatever is going on. Right. So sometimes like being intentional about those little moments makes a difference. Um, the same thing about even in the in the slightly bigger scale, not just a 10 minute lunch break. Sometimes it's um, if we are feeling zombie-ish, like we've been in the squander zone for a while, right? We sometimes get this feeling like to get back on track and, you know, astonishingly alive again, it's going to take a lot. And again, often it's just, what about it? Like just booking a different kind of date night, just book a, book a night out. And not, not crazy. It could just be like, let's go try that new restaurant. And if it's terrible, well, at least we can laugh about it later. Or go and check out that concert in the park. Or just go like making an effort to go and do just something different, which actually gets us into a whole other strategy, which is novelty. I'll put a pin in that for a sec. But often when we go do that thing, like let's say you go to that concert in the park and you check it out and it's interesting and it's different... That feeling inside you that I did something different, I had an experience in my community, I chatted with my neighbor, I tried some terrible punch, I came home like that feeling, I don't know about you, but sometimes I come home so proud, like I did a thing, I went out and I tried something. And that will carry you oftentimes through the rest of the month where you don't even need to be having a really regular, consistent plan of vitality, it can sometimes just be the little doses will actually go at like they carry you a lot of miles. Mm. I think the pandemic really brought this all into perspective in such a powerful way too. Like when we were locked down, it was like, is this the environment <laughs> that I want to be in? It's it made us question a lot of ourselves. And also for me, you know, we didn't live on the farm when the first lockdown happened. And we were like, okay, we need to figure out where we want to be. <laughs> This is, you know, we've been looking and looking, but it was like it brought into focus, like, if this is happening, we want to be able to have our hands in the soil, we want to be able to grow food, right? And it's so that list kind of formulated, like, where, what are the priorities here? So 
I'm wondering if, if that, because you said about three years ago, you really gave yourself permission to fully come out with the 4,000 Mondays idea. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how did the pandemic help you really cauterize your idea? Oh, such a good point. And to your point too, about the prioritizing, because that actually is a big theme, even for people who have had brushes with death, they emerge, maybe it's from a really rough health diagnosis, or, you know, they have like a motorcycle accident or something where it's like, I live to tell the tale. They are the ones that are really sharp on, here's what matters now. Here's what I'm not going to be focusing on. Here's what I'm going to be focusing on. And you are right that the pandemic was a gift in disguise for so many of us to help us say, this is the way I want to be spending my time because I know my time's limited. In my world, the timing was interesting for two reasons. One was that I did go to grad school and I gave myself this, it was like a decision of the head or heart. You ever had those? Like an intellectual decision for me at that time to do my thesis was going to be on something leadership related because I was doing a lot of work with leadership development. And I was like, well, the smart thing would be to research this. And I was like, but I don't want to. <laughs> I want to re- I want to research death studies, mortality, you know, using this idea of temporal scarcity about like, let's, so I, I did that instead and, and giving myself that green light to do the thing that my heart wanted a little more than my head. Uh, and then became my, my head too was the permission slip that I think sometimes we just have to sign off for ourselves to go do the thing. And then, so right around then was. Uh, entry into the pandemic. And that I think I experienced something very similar to you, which was pivotal moment in life. Like, do I want to like, for me, I was bit by the bug of death, as I kind of affectionately say, you know, I, I once I started this research, and once I kind of started seeing that it was a legit thing, I just needed to feel like it was validated by research. I don't know why. It made me feel like, well, now I, I can't not do this pandemic strikes. And it was like, well, if everything's blown up anyways, why don't I put the pieces back together like Humpty Dumpty? Why don't I put it together in a shape I like better than my current one? And I like the previous shape, but I wanted a new shape that just happened to be skull shaped. (laughs) Totally. Well, what I'm really fascinated by, and this is of course the Cosmic Business Podcast. I was just looking at your chart as you were talking a little bit. It's like right over here. So in case you're wondering why I'm looking in that direction. Um, But also I'm, I'm really curious about building a business around an idea. Like you're, you're really somebody who I would point people to as like really having thought leadership that kind of informs the entirety of your business. So, I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? Like you also do the drawings, right? That you share. So your creativity is so infused in your business. And I'm just curious about that. Well, thanks for noticing that. And it does take (laughs) someone like you who has this experience to probably see this differently than most, right? And I'll tell you, like I, I thought about this for years. So 10 years ago, I left my own corporate executive existence to start to get into leadership coaching. You know, words of wisdom, like try to have a more of a niche, have an area of focus. Mm. And I was like, yeah, it's leadership, but that's broad. And I, but I, it's death. <laughs> right. So now, of course, it's like I joke about my marketers, like people who might die someday. So conveniently, it's everybody. Uh-huh. But it is cl- clearly topically quite narrow. And for years, though, I yearned for something that I care. Like I, I couldn't grab something. I couldn't, I didn't feel like something was worth me really embracing. Like everything I, I enjoy, I really enjoy leadership. I still do work in it. It's interesting in many ways. But the thing that I just kept coming back to, and this may be then the test for others listening, is like, what is the thing that calls you the like magnetic attraction, like that you keep wanting to read about when you're not being asked to read about it or to prepare a, a report or a PowerPoint deck about? Like, if can you make something out of that? And so 
it feels like a sandbox, like a playpen where I get like, I get to draw about this goofy stuff that I just think is just so fascinating. And I may, so to be able to expand on, so yeah, we'll call it thought leadership. Um, but to get to combine that together. And for me, it did feel very scary at first because it felt like, well, that's going to go over like a lead balloon. Like who's going to want to buy any kind of a workshop on death? And then of course, it was like, well, it's how you spin it. If you do it all the Grim Reaper, people are way more amenable to talking about it than if you just... <laughs> So yeah, for me, it was more like, I do feel lucky, by the way. I do feel really fortunate because I have so many friends and clients and, and, and that, that are also like still trying to find the thing for them that is grabby. And I actually believe that if, well, maybe if you scratch the surface just one level lower, you've got that thing that you just can't stop reading about on Saturday morning when you're in bed and you're scrolling through your newsfeed or whatever. And you're like, what's the thing you love? Okay, fine. If it's about like, for me, it's like about baking. Well, maybe you're not going to necessarily, but (laughs) maybe it it always flows in. You know, I find that like people can, you can be surprised at how you can weave things into your presence. And some of it's just your personality too. It's like your spin, your take, you know, and then people who are interested in that side thing, like for me, the farm really has become that like people are drawn to that since I help entrepreneurs who want to bring in a new paradigm of business, build those businesses that have the giving back at the center, their health at the center, collaboration, right? All of those pieces. They see me on the farm. So I end up with lots of clients who want also want farms or want land just because I'm talking about that thing. So, you know, for right. people who are listening, it's like, just think about those things that like you were saying that you're obsessed with and just start talking about them and see what happens. I like your example. And maybe I'm now looking for a link that's too convenient, but like maybe it's about using the thing that brings you so much joy as the metaphor to help even what you're currently doing. Like it doesn't maybe necessarily need to be a full, full scale switch, although like that could work for you too. It could also be that that infuses the work. Like you probably are, you're using so much more because you're talking about a content, different analogies that that align with here's the land or the way this grew or the way that this thing flopped or whatever that you can build it in even just to the normal kind of operations of what you're up to. That might be a way to combine forces. Yeah. But we're we're basically saying like we're human beings and we are more than just our business. We are not our business, right? We are... Mm -hmm. We have ideas and visions and we want to help you. And we're also doing all these other things that we love. So you can come and hang out with us <laughs> while we yeah. share what we have to share. And, you know, we'll take you along on our journey. So, yeah. Great point. Can I ask you, can I be nosy? Like when you're saying you're looking at my chart, yeah. I'm so fascinated by what you do. Like, yeah. what do you see? This you is know, what I was going to do next is share okay. a little bit about your chart. So, you know, you're ruled by Saturn. So when you said like, I was like, oh gosh, who's going to want this? You know, you have a combination in your chart to automatically be like, maybe I should stick it in here and just be like, so that nobody freaks out. Right. And you had to kind of break out of that paradigm to be like, no, I have a big idea. You also have a lot of interesting trades between planets in your chart. It's not common to see two of those in a chart. You have it also uh, Jupiter really strong aspecting Saturn. So all that together basically means you're here to do big things to help people see things in a new way. And Saturn is like very constricting and slow. So he can delay things. 
but also brings us into reality in powerful ways that may be uncomfortable. So like both you play that role since he's your ruling planet, but also you're like doing that for others in your chart. So interesting. <laughs> in Saturn's a he? Um, you could say she, but most people, because Saturn is kind of a ball buster, most people refer to Saturn as he. <laughs> That's right. I, I didn't know if there was a, that was known in your world that there, there are different ways of looking. I get that. Thank you. I love, that must be so, I and mean, it's so fascinating how you're able to apply that and help people steer probably or understand yeah. both like understand and steer kind of what comes next. Yeah. So understand themselves in a timeline, right? Cause like right now you're in the period of your ruling planet that'll go until you're 51. And so you've been in this period for a number of years, like over a decade already. And what the ruling planet does is it will cause you to come into your own essentially. Like when we run that period really forces you to like look closely at how Saturn mm-hmm. is constricting you where you're getting stuck and like break through those paradigms, you know? So exactly break through the ball buster. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Learn how to navigate skillfully through it. And the other thing I noticed about your chart is your moon is in a sign called Shatabisha. So I can email you what it is so you can look up more information, but basically it allows you to sit in the unknown and talk about things that may be disturbing to others in really calm ways. (laughs) So it's a powerful place for guides like for people who are going to help other people through things. So that's kind of interesting. And that that moon is activated because it's in an exchange with your Saturn. So it's got, there's just like a lot of of juice around that. And also, this is random, but I I think it will pertain because I am very interested in your take on the fact that I really want to write a book and I keep trying so hard. It's like the thing in my coulda, woulda, shoulda book that if I don't do, I will not feel I have lived my life Actually, I have a lot of books I want to write, but just starting with one, right? And I see in your chart very clearly that you are either writing a book or you're going to be writing a book next year. So I'm curious if that's true. You're eerie, fantastic, amazing. Because yes, I have a book coming out May 7th. (laughs) And so I'm so excited. Like I can barely contain myself. I actually can't contain myself. I don't want to contain myself. So you were really right (laughs) on it. And now I got to get super questiony to you. Tell me, what is an example of uh, one of the books that you long to write? Oh, yeah. I'm writing one about this idea of the cosmic business. So about how we build a business with collaboration, our health at the center, our values at the center, centered around our purpose. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I'm doing with the astrology is helping people get aligned with their purpose, understand themselves in a timeline take action. Okay. And you've identified that as, this is what I call a pregret. Like it would be a regret if you were on your deathbed that you think I didn't do it. Damn it. Yes. But you're saying it's like, you still have time. You yes. Not I still have time and I'm working on it. It's just that I feel like I'm getting thwarted right now. There's a lot going on. And so I'm like, I'm just trying so hard to steal back time to focus on this, you know? Yes. I get you. So it's like, it's competing priorities mm. that are getting in the way. Yes. Yeah. I'll share with you. I didn't, um, like I need a deadline Mm -hmm. in order to make something happen. And then, and then it's like super fast. So it's actually, I mean, this is not surprising. I need a deadline of 4,000 Mondays to feel motivated to get on with it. You know, (laughs) Oh, look, look how many I have left. Let me do those things before I die. So I wonder for you, 
How do you feel about deadlines? I need deadlines. And I tried mm-hmm. to set one for myself. Uh, I know. <laughs> I mean, has anybody ever had that work? <laughs> Special people are able to do that. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of want Because like, you, you clearly have this desire. It sounds incredible, by the way. I want that book. I want, <laughs> I want several for, for gifts, for friends and colleagues and so on. And um, hmm. I believe it's happening. It is happening. Yeah. You know, and it, it is something that I have already written like many, many pages of, they just aren't organized, you know? And so maybe it's getting a research assistant. I don't know. I'm exploring a lot of different ideas to get somebody to help me kind of organize the things I've already written. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just curious. What was your process? Like you had a deadline. Yes. So I, because I know I love deadlines, it was, um, I said to myself, first off, because I wanted to try the traditional publishing route first. So I did the, okay, I need a book proposal. So I gave myself, so I bought the book, how to write a book proposal. And that was really great. I registered for writing court, like a writing retreat. And they said, you need your book proposal done or your book done. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, like I need to get this book proposal done. So that gave me the deadline to get that done. And then I did that. So that was great. And then I wanted to get an agent. And so I had to do a query letter, which is just like a one page synopsis of what this thing is. So I uh, committed to my dad back to accountability that I will do it this weekend. And so <laughs> on Monday, he called. Did you do it? Like, yes, I did it. Oh, dad. that's so and sweet. Then, <laughs> yeah. When in doubt, dad it out. And then I sent that to the two possible agents. Then I'm fast forwarding through all this, of course, got the agent who then once the fast forward, fast forward, the book deal is done. Yay. Then it's, here's your deadline. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's like everything conspires to just get that going. And I just, it was like overdrive because I had the deadline and I just to be, I love productivity and have a desire to please. So for me, it was like that, that aligns for me. It's like, give me someone I can say, yay, I beat it too. And I feel good about myself. That's how I get self-worth. <laughs> <laughs> so I just needed that. But I wouldn't, I would be sitting here dicking around with my, here's what chapter four is going to be about. And here's who I'm going to interview. I would still be doing that if I didn't have an actual yeah. like, people that, that told me I needed it by a certain day. That's so fascinating. Cause when you said that earlier about setting deadlines, like I set deadlines all the time in my business, but I have a team and I've told them. So there's that accountability beat in. Yeah. That if, yes. if I don't do the thing, then they're like, yeah. Hey, wh- why haven't you given me this thing? It's in Asana. You said you do it by today. <laughs> Can you Asana the crap out of your book? Uh, maybe yeah. that's a good idea. Okay. I have an example for you. You know, Marie Forleo. Yeah. She's a, yeah. So she tells this story about how and this, by the way, is told in the book. It's not here in front of me, but it's called The Beautiful Writers by Linda Sievertson, who I just really admire. She helps people figure out how to navigate writing a book and publishing. And she tells the story of Marie Forleo, who was like, she worked with her team and said, guys, you know, in Silicon Valley, how they do one of those like ideation sessions and they have like a crazy working thing. She's like, this weekend, we're going to sit down and plow through the book proposal, like do it in a weekend. Now I'm not suggesting. No. (laughs) Great. There goes my Saturday, but it could be like this week of October, we're going to like, and I know this is yours, but it it sounds like collaboration is important to you too, whomever, but like having that commitment of here's this time and sharing that accountability with them, putting it in a sauna. Yeah. That's a good idea. I love it. <laughs> Thank you for helping me brainstorm this. This is so. Tell us about your book. So, is it called Four Thousand Mondays? I'm curious. Yeah, it's going to be called You Only Die Once. Oh, and the subtitle is uh, How to Get to the End with No Regrets. And yeah, it's living a life exactly so that those pregrets or regrets just do not. We we organize our lives in in such a way that we use 
the Grim Reaper's help to get on with living now. So we don't get to the end with that. Oh man, I have all these things that I yearn to do that I didn't. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Is it in pre-sale? Can we share a link or? Thank you so much. It'll be in pre-sale, I think, starting within the next two weeks. Okay. Awesome. So depending on how... No, yeah, this will come out then. So people who are listening, check the show notes and we'll have a pre-sale link in there for you. And so I have some rapid fire questions for you if you have a moment for those. Okay. I'm going to brace myself. Hang on. (laughs) They're really quick. Okay. Um, So what is one piece of advice that has really helped you in your life? I word it as don't think, just do. And I'd be careful with that because I do think that we have to generally be thoughtful about things, but I think we can overthink and not take the action we want to in life. And so don't think, just do is about like kind of the start before you're ready idea. Just go for it. Mm. Um, Do you have a morning routine? And so what Mm. part of it, aside from getting up in the morning, is non-negotiable? Yeah. I have a thing where I bring the husband his coffee in bed and so on. But I think for me, it is a sitting down with my own breakfast, which is just like my most favorite meal of the day. So I appreciate that. And um, I do reflect on my Mondays left. And I set my intentions for the day. What do I want today to feel like? By the end of the day, what would make me feel proud? And what would make me feel alive? So one thing I can do today that might just help me to feel like, again, I didn't just let all of a sudden a random weekday go by. So what are you reading right now? Or what's a book that you would recommend, aside from the one you mentioned earlier, that would just be helpful as an addendum to this conversation? Oh, goodness. I read... I don't know if you can identify. I read probably six different books at the same time. Yeah, you got to have your fiction, your nonfiction, your poetry. (laughs) Completely. It's about what am I in the mood for right now on this plane ride. Uh, So yes, I'd say beautiful writers for sure for anybody who's looking to commit in that way. You know, in terms of living, you know, I'm a fan of uh, 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman in the spirit of uh, his is more about time management, but a perspective of thinking about our time. And um, I don't know, it's funny. I was just, um, I was just looking at my Kindle here and there's a book, uh, a new book out by uh, just a funny author that I love, R. Eric Thomas. And it's congratulations. The best is over. It's just silly. And that's just more, that's for fun. That's just pure fun when you're on your 10 minute lunch break. I have another question for you that I wanted to ask earlier, but I think this is a good dovetail to that, which is what role does enthusiasm play in all of this? Oh, enthusiasm. I believe it is extra juicing on the path towards astonishing. Mm. So the sense of exuberance, you know, which is like an incorporation of passion and like for the, the joie de vivre about an excitement about what's in store, what, what you've got planned. And I want to be careful with it though, because this is why like, I'm sounding maybe trepidatious with it, because I do believe you can still live an astonishingly alive life without being like me. Like I am exuberant, like, 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 let's tone it down a bit sometimes, you know, like, like enthusiastic can come in different shades. And, and I think that, um, it can be having an interest and an excitement and, and, a, and a passion towards what you're up to doesn't need to necessarily be embodied in this kind of gregarious, on fire way. I do think back to the idea about it can just be this smoldering ember for you that you're kind of just, you're excited about your violin lesson tonight. And you don't need to be freaking off the walls, bouncing off the walls about it. Like I might be out loud, but that's still beautiful and so exciting and delightful for your life. So unless you describe enthusiasm as having different 
gradations, which it probably does. I say the the introvert and the extrovert version. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Okay. I like that dimension. That's a great spectrum. So yeah, more of the, I mean, it's funny enough. I am an introvert. I'm just a very overexcited introvert, but yeah, I think that um, like in the same way that, you know, when, when we're talking about leadership, like charisma is one of those things where it's like, you don't have to be the charismatic leader to be effective. So I am careful to say, tap into, if enthusiasm sounds like that's too much for me, tap into then what's the thing that just gives you just that little, little jolt. And that that's the sign that it's something worth pursuing. Maybe it is a bit of a new hobby, or maybe it is a, you know, a little road trip to book for the weekend or a new book to try Mm. version of enthusiasm. I love this. I mean, I've thought a lot about enthusiasm in my life because, you know, when I was younger, I had like a chip on my shoulder, (laughs) you know, I definitely was a New Yorker wearing all black and like, you know, thought it was very cool. And, you know, I think enthusiasm has helped to break open my heart, you know, and and just like a joyful enthusiasm. It doesn't have to be over exuberant, like you're saying, but just being like, what's that about? Huh? I'm curious and allowing yourself to be curious, allowing yourself to move towards things rather than like automatically kind of holding everything at bay. Okay. You're just, this is just back to, I'm enthusiastic right now because we're talking about this notion about being curious. And that ties back to something we said earlier around the need for novelty. When exploring something different, something that's new and, and fresh, it could be something as simple as yet yeah, trying a new flavor or something off the menu normally you wouldn't order when you normally order your regular thing, trying a different book or documentary instead of the usual thing, taking the, the I don't know, the long way home trying a very different hobby or interacting with different friends you haven't seen in a while. Like it's, it's really essential for our experience of being alive and like the life worth living, so to speak. And that introduction and infusion of novelty, newness, curiosity is one of the hallmarks of uh, vitality of people who feel the most vitally alive. And so for me, I just like, I just like sort of simple life hacks. And if that's one of the ways that's very, very, very clearly empirically based, try some new things more often than not, then that's easy to do. We can work that in. You know, we can map that back to the schedule. We could put that in Saturday. Okay. Instead of booking that dinner out that we were just going to go to the place we used, what about if we did go to that other place? You know, so those are little things that little tiny tricks and tips. That That's what life is. I think little adjustments. Totally. Well, it's been a complete delight to have you here today. And can you just share with folks where they can find you online? Um, mm-hmm. And if you have anything coming up that you want them to know about. Oh, great. Well, thank you for asking for that. I am over at 4000mondays.com. There is the calculator there, like I mentioned on the resource page. And there's a quiz that is the how alive or dead are you quiz, which will help (laughs) you identify your level of aliveness or deadness. Uh, And then yes, of course, there's the You Only Die Once, the book coming out in May, which I just would love for people to hopefully find some extra life out of. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Total pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cosmic Business Podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review for us so other spirit-led entrepreneurs can find out about us. I want to thank Team Podcast for production support on this podcast, as well as the musicians of the music that we're listening to now, Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantu Ledesma, from an album Fragments of a Season, which you can check out wherever you listen to music. I hope you have a wonderful day and I look forward to connecting with you on a future episode.